music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, it's Kelly Alexander, and this week we are very excited to hang out with Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, author, actress, and comedian, Judy Gold. Judy has had a phenomenal career, including being a writer and producer on The Rosie O'Donnell Show, which garnered her an Emmy Award, not to mention doing stand-up specials on HBO, Comedy Central, and Logo. Judy and I chat about why comedy still holds such a special place in her heart, why she wrote her latest book, Yes, I Can Say That, the importance of sports in her life, and if she's ever nervous about her personal safety because she has been so outspoken about her views on politics. Listen anytime, anyplace, just a click away, kellyalexandershow.com. Beyond thrilled to welcome to the show Emmy Award winning writer, producer, author, actress, and comedian Judy Gold. Judy has had so much success in her career, stand-up specials on HBO and Logo and Comedy Central, not to mention writing two books, and of course the host of a podcast I love to listen to, Kill Me Now. Judy Gold, welcome to the Kelly Alexander Show. Kelly, uh, thank you. Thank you. I hope it's not too loud. I do live off of a very busy street in Manhattan that all of the ambulances use to go to the hospitals. So just warning all of your listeners. That's fine. I think you talked about that on one of your episodes recently. And oh, I do. Yeah. yeah. Because you just, I mean, <laughs> I try to do it really late at night, to, yeah. to, but it's ridiculous and they're so loud and yeah i recently talked about how there's different ambulance sounds here and there's one you know the regular one and then there's the one that reminds me of nazi germany so um yeah so it's and it's annoying and it's loud and it goes right into my apartment but you know i live in new york city Yeah. yeah um so i wanted to start off by asking you like apart from being mom and wife you have like very, you know, a lot of other career titles. Like I just listed off writer, producer, actor, um, you know, comedian, which one is the most important to you? And does the order change? Oh, well, I mean, the mother part is the number will always be the number one. Um, but if you're talking about career, I mean, I'd be nowhere without stand-up comedy. It is something that I love more than anything that I still, I mean, who knew? I always think like, I'm sick. I'm going to be 61 in November. Oh God, I I have to go kill myself right now. But anyway, thank God the ambulance will be right there. But, um, and I still, like, I never thought as a 19 year old, that I would be, you know, still sitting on the subway with my notebook going down to the comedy cellar to try out new material, like at 61 years old and still like excited about it, you know, and that's the thing. So I I would say, of course, I want, I want to be on a TV show. I love writing. I love, I want to be set for life because I was on a show that got syndicated and not that we get any residuals anymore, but you know, yes, but I love stand up. It's, it's my roots. I walk in that, I walk in the cellar at, at night and it's like, I'm home. Um, it's family. It's, I, I love stand up. I love the art of stand up. Um, and I love live perform. There's nothing that compares to live performance. 
How do you feel about um, the younger comics coming up? And I'll just give you an example. So for me being on the radio, I feel exactly the same way you do, but on the radio. And I love doing live radio. Uh, but I notice that some of the younger announcers that are coming up do things differently. Like a lot of them want to pre-tape some of their on-air. Oh, of course. And so I'm just wondering what have you noticed with younger comments or comics that either you appreciate or drive you nuts? Well, first, I want to preface it with there's so many great young comics out there that I'm really impressed sometimes. And also, you know, the fact that the subject matter, you know, I came out on stage in 1996 and it was huge, you know, in these mainstream clubs. Um, and the fact that I see these comics going on stage, uh, you know, just talking about being trans or being gay or being non-binary whatever and there's no reaction i mean that to me is the greatest thing uh although as you know i wrote a book about cancel culture so i am really you know the opposite end of that is that you know we're constantly worried about offending people but i think what i resent the most uh, and it speaks exactly to what you were saying is that unfortunately club bookers and owners are very short-sighted oh there we go they want the money they want the money um so that means how many followers does this person have i'm gonna i'm gonna book them because they have a viral video but they don't have the skill of being a great stand-up. They don't know how to close a show. It takes years, at least 10, at least 10 to figure out what the hell you're doing on stage. I I think 15 to be like, okay, I got this, I got this, I get this. And so when you don't work at the craft and instead you're spending your days taking, you know, photo on photo shoots or doing funny little skits, which great, you know? It's nice you have a following, but that doesn't translate into stand-up comedy uh, and great stand-up comedy. So what happens? The audiences attend the show. They're like, "Oh, this is stand-up. Ew, I'm not gonna. I'm never gonna go see a stand-up show again." So all these seasoned, you know, and a lot of us are older, but all of these seasoned comics now have to worry about how many followers they have and how can i uh how can i you know sell sell seats it's just and it used to be how can i be the greatest comedian there is how can i write the best material so our priorities have changed um and so in that regard i i see a lot of and I think it'll catch up, like like you were saying, they want to pre-tape. They want to pre-tape because they don't have the confidence or the skill to to be live. Uh, and the things that happen live are the the greatest, make the greatest radio, you know? But they're not skilled enough to, to be able to deal with that. Uh, so it's really, I don't know, in a way uh, it's it's upsetting. Um, and, you know, in a way, the other, the other part of it is, you know, boomer, you're a boomer, you're, you're a loser, you just don't want to, 
adjust to this new way of doing things, which, yeah, there's an element of that of like, oh God, do I really, I'd rather read. I'd rather be writing material than like, okay, hey everybody, but I get it. I get it. It used to be you would book uh, The Tonight Show and they would plug whatever your date was and that would fill the seats. Uh, But you couldn't book The Tonight Show without being a great comic or having a great six minutes. You couldn't get anywhere without the skill and the craftsmanship and um the time the time that you have to put in to to get to that point so i think at some point it will catch up with them but um for now i guess this is the way things are but look kelly you know my kids on the phone no one no one you know they watch something for if they watch for a minute that's a long period of time you know it's it's scary and sad now, you mentioned uh, that you came out in 96, and obviously you were doing comedy before that. And I wanted to ask you how it was navigating not being out before that, because just, again, I don't want to use myself as an example, but like, so I am part of the community. I didn't come out for many years uh, on the air because I just wanted to be Kelly. I didn't want to be Kelly, right, a right. girl. But what was it like for you? Because you, as a comic, you draw so much from your life. So how did you keep it under wraps? Well, that's exactly why I had to come out. So um, I, I've been doing this about 40, 41 years. And so when I first started, I really didn't have material about being... All right, let's just start with the fact, I talk about this in my book. I didn't want to be a lesbian comedian. I want to be a comedian who happened to be a lesbian, which is exactly what you said about yourself. Um, I didn't have any material about being a lesbian. Um, I had a lot of material about my mother and, you know, being tall and awkward. I mean, I'm 20, I'm 19 when I first did my first set. I'm, you know, I'm in my early 20s when I'm at these clubs um hanging out so i mean i have 20 years of life experience to draw upon and i was working out my act uh i was working in the mainstream clubs i wasn't up there saying oh i'm a big dyke and i'm a big lesbian you know no that wasn't who i was and then when i had a child uh and 96 i had all this amazing material and every comic talks about their families and i was like what what kind of message is it to my children where i say listen um this is something we don't talk about no i'm proud of my family Uh, and and i want them to be proud and uh, at you know even though i came out because of my child it was precisely because of him that it made it easier for me to come out because I was on there. I was on stage talking about being a gay parent and people after a few minutes would be like, oh, we have the same. Oh, this is funny because a parent is a parent. Um, So it made it much easier because I wasn't talking about sex with my girlfriend or, you know, lesbian bars or porn, which is a very huge topic of conversation now with comedians on stage um or topic of their their acts so uh yeah it it, i think it was and i didn't even think of it at the time as being brave 
I just thought about it as being honest. And yet now I have these people in their thirties who say, you know, that's the greatest part of it for me who say, you know, I, I would run down to the basement so I could watch you because I couldn't believe there was this loud woman's, you know, talking about being gay and having kids. And, you know, you don't realize how much that representation means to other people that they see that and they think, oh, I can have kids or, oh, wow, she seems normal. Well, I'm not normal, but you know what I mean? You know, that that representation, it meant so much to people. And the fact that it was, you know, I was on Comedy Central, I was on, you know, HBO, and it was just a matter of fact thing that was a part of my act. Um, It definitely had an impact on my career, but I don't care because you know, I didn't wait. A lot of people wait until they make their millions. And it's, you know, they have, I mean, they have things to lose, but they, you know, they're fine financially, you know, uh, I couldn't do that. Uh, I'm, and that it, it goes right back to your first question. What's, what's the most important thing? It's stand up. And I, you can't, I mean, I believe you can't be a good stand up if you're not going to be telling the truth. I mean, we speak truth to power. And uh, so, yeah, it, 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 you know, I could feel the audience shift. There was a palpable shift after people had seen my HBO special. I had already been on a series. I had, you know, fans and people coming to see me and you could feel the, wait, what? You know, people would walk out. I mean, there were so many things that happened, but too bad, too bad. Now, um, I am fortunate. I get to interview a lot of uh, musicians and and recording artists. And uh, a question I always like to ask them is, what do they consider their big break that took them to the next level? So what would you consider as your big break that took you? Oh, my God. Well, unlike a musician, you don't really get one hit that puts you on the map uh, in stand up. you have to keep writing and you have to keep going. So I don't, I don't have one thing, you know, I've been so up and down and up and down through the years. You know, I I remember when I had my HBO special, I thought, Oh, wow. You know, um, but no, it, it, you know, each one has been a step, but nothing has really, catapulted me to this point where I'm a household name. Uh, I think comedy fans know me. I think people who were, you know, in the nineties watching TV and watching, you know, Comedy Central. And, you know, I think those, I think those people know who I am, Um, but I've done so much and so, so many different things that I don't think there was one thing that really catapulted me to some level. And, you know, it's so funny because when I got on a series, I thought, ah, this is it, you know? No. And then it's, yeah, I've done theater. I've done hosting of shows. I've done uh, writing. I've done film and, and TV. I mean, it's all been, you know, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. So nothing has really uh, 
brought me to that. I mean, look, musicians are so lucky. They'll make money off of that song forever and ever and ever. And if someone uses it like in the back of a rap song, you know, the, as the basis for, I mean, they're set. So yeah, um, it's all been a, a slow climb Can you? and I'm not at the top. Yeah. You know, can you talk to us about how you ended up uh, being on the Rosie O'Donnell show as a writer and producer? And oh, sure. What it feels like to to, you know, you're always and forever going to be announced as Emmy Award winner. Judy. Gold. I know. It's so funny. Um, well, I uh, Henry, my older son, was born in 96 and uh, Rosie was like, come over. I want to see him and she loves babies and so and i have known rosie since before anyone knew who rosie o'donnell was and so i went over there and she's like you know what you don't want to be on the road now why don't you uh submit some jokes and uh we're looking for what we need one more writer and uh you know you'll work for 13 weeks and then you'll be home for 13 weeks because that that's the period that they hired writers for so I remember I, I submitted some jokes and then the next day she did a couple of them. So I was like, oh, they're going to call me. And they called me and I started writing on the show. And then when I was in these pitch and first of all, we'd have jokes written by 730 in the morning. OK, not good. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would I would get up at like five. I was training for the marathon, too. I was out of my mind. I would get up at five. I'd go running. Then I'd get to the office like six, six thirty and start writing a couple of jokes. And I used to go through the newspapers. And as I was going through the newspapers, I would find these crazy people that I thought, oh, God, Rosie has to have this person like I would read, you know, someone's obsessed with vacuum cleaners and knows everything about that, you know, and I started pitching these things in our writers uh meeting in the morning and she said why don't you do why don't you we don't have a human interest producer why don't you become the human interest producer so that's how i started producing so i put all the non-celebrities and the kids and all that kind of stuff on the show um and i still helped with a little bit of the writing but i ended up staying for the first two seasons and it, it was you know, and I said this to Rosie on her podcast, um, you know, I always thought about, you know, here's this show that changed. It really changed television. It, it was a phenomenon. Everyone watched that show. It was really incredible. And it really helped um, Broadway as well. Uh, um, but and I remember thinking, God, if, if these people in middle America knew that this show is being run by a bunch of you know, nerdy theater gay kids and their allies, what would they think, you know? And, um, you know, finally, Rosie did end up coming out. Um, and it was just really a bunch of, it, it was a bunch of misfits creating this amazing show. And uh, I had so much fun. I'm still in touch with so many of the people. And so many of them became huge producers uh and you see you see these broadway people who are now huge stars that that first got their uh had their first tv appearance on that show it's yeah it was that's how i ended up working there um and i loved it was it a lot of pressure i know you stayed for two seasons was it a lot of pressure in those two seasons especially because 
it became popular very quickly. Like it was yeah, yeah, yeah. right away. Was there pressure? And it was live. Yeah. It was live. Yeah, it was crazy. And was there a lot of pressure to like, to, you know, did you know that it was a success? Like, like I obviously you knew it was a, a success, but like, was there pressure to keep being this or did you guys just were in a zone and kept going? I think at the point where we was, we were like, oh my God, this is the, this is a huge success. I think we were all really in the zone. And I think I was good at the producing the real people, the, you know, real people, because I got Rosie. So I knew her, I, I knew her comedy and I knew what made her laugh. And I was a comedian and I did a lot of crowd work. And so I knew how funny she was off the cuff with real people. So I would find out when I would do my pre-interviews and talk to them and book them for the show, like what I would find something out about them that was really interesting that I knew Rosie would be like, oh, and I heard blank and I heard blank and and I would stay in the pit um and i'd write ask about blank you know like i'd write it on a on a it was very in the moment and real and you know i think the lie the fact that it was live kept us in that zone it wasn't like you had you could ruminate about things it was like you you did the show the in the morning and the minute it was over you had to prepare for that next live show the following day so we were really like all whirling dervishes and so i remember just being like i am so tired and i would uh i still wanted to do stand-up so i would there was there's a club down the street for me called stand-up new york uh and i would say can i go on first and i would do like an 815 spot just so i could keep in shape um but yeah i had two kids and oh no i only had one child then actually um I had a child and I was working and it was such an amazing experience, but yes, definitely in the zone. And, and also something could happen the night before, like Rosie would be like, yeah, my, my cab driver, uh, I'm in the cab and he gives me a piece of gum. He says, he gives everyone a piece of gum, find the cab driver. Like that was how it was crazy. It was crazy, but it was so fun and exciting. Well, on behalf of everybody, and I'm sure you've got this a million times, thank you so much because that show got like so many of us through whatever and just so much right. so much love. And so thank you on behalf of everybody that loved it. Oh, that. please. It was all her, but thank you. I wanted to ask you, so the uh, the book that you wrote recently, uh, Yes, I yes, Can Say I Can Say That. Where is yeah, it? So I have it here. Talk to us about like why you felt compelled to write it. And did were you concerned about blowback after it was released? Well, that's good. That's a good question. I, I, um, the blowback used to bother me, but I don't care anymore. So I'm at the point where, you know, I've been in this business so long, there's nothing you can say to me that they, I have not heard. I've been humiliated. I've been, you know, just awful things said to me. So I don't, and I'm, you know, you get to a point where you're like, no sorry and you're fearless and so um i wrote the book yes i can say that when they come for the comedians we're all in trouble and it, of course it came out in july of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic <laughs> because that's the kind of luck i have so um and i was actually asked to write the book i was on a piece on vice news about uh they were doing a piece about college 
bookers, that, that book comedy shows, uh, and how they were censoring the comedians and, and telling them what they could and couldn't say on behalf of the students, of protecting the students. And so I was, they asked me to be the opposing viewpoint, which I gladly was. And an editor saw that piece and um, asked me, to, would you write a book about free speech and you know censorship and cancel culture from the perspective of a comedian? And I said, absolutely. And I wrote the book. Um, and each chapter is sort of, it's a polemic, really. Each chapter is an argument about why comedy why if you silence comedians that is the end of free speech because you know there's that famous poem about when they came for uh you know the jews i did nothing when they came for this i did nothing and so that's why it's when they come for the comedians we're all in trouble because we you know we do tell the truth and we also are disarming. We also, a great joke can make you think and make you laugh. But there is a reason why fascists, there's a reason why they're banning books in this country. There's a reason why fascists like Donald Trump cannot attend the White House Correspondents Dinner, wanted to have Saturday Night Live investigated. Um, you know, Mark Twain said, under the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. You know, these dictators know the power of comedy. And if you go back in time, you know, in 1934, I have to say, before, you know, before uh, when Hitler was rise, his power was rising, it was the comedians who were in these cabarets who were speaking the truth on stage. And that uh threatened the propaganda their propaganda weakened their propaganda because here are these people making jokes and laughing and so hitler passed the treachery act of 1934 which made listening to or telling an anti-nazi joke an act of treason punishable by death or imprisonment now this is telling a joke and in other countries comedians are killed they're killed and this it's not a joke pun intended and so you know hitler passed that treachery act in 1934 but a year before is when he started banning books so we're on this it's sort of like i'm scared in a way you know it's a so the book is sort of a call to action and we did a um an off-broadway show based on the book uh directed by bd wong and written with my friend eddie sarfordy who also helped me write the book we argued every chapter together um he always played the devil's advocate so we could prove the point and uh it's gonna go on tour which is exciting and it was a big hit but you know again i you know people are like oh this is so dangerous and i don't think of it as dangerous i think of it as necessary and you know it's so funny because when the book came out um my first review on amazon was this woman who wrote uh, you know, I really liked a lot of what she had to say, and I learned about this and I learned about that, but she hates Trump. So I'm giving it one star. And that proves my point right there that, that you are going to, you're going to make sure I get one star, which is all social media. It's like the fact that social media 
gives power and a voice to people who don't deserve it. You know, that's why we're in this situation. But so she proved the point. Like, I don't like her personally, her personal politics. So I'm going to try to cancel her. Um, Even though there were parts of the book she really liked. But I can't prove my point where about why, you know, why are comedians held to a higher standard than our politicians? What, you know, their speech incites violence, disparages people, spreads conspiracy theories. They lie, and yet they're still employed. And a comedian tells a joke you don't like, and they should never get on stage again? No! N-O! So it, it, it infuriated me, but yeah, here we are. With the, the tour, are you being careful, and I don't even like to use that word, but being careful where you're touring this? Well, um, another great question. I really want to go to places that are red. I mean, I want to go to the red places that where there's a little blueberry in the middle. Like, you know, there's there's places in Texas where, you know, we're the, we're the blue part of this. We're the blue. Yeah, but I really do want to see what what people who don't share my politics um have to say about it i think it's you know it's really important and i think i do believe in more speech because you silence people you're dumbing them down you're you know what i mean you're you're um you're you're stopping conversation you're stopping critical thinking um and this rewriting of history it's it's scary it's so scary. So um, I don't I, I don't know exactly where we're going. I know they're working on all the I gave them a list of places I want to go. But yeah, I definitely want to go to places that have an issue with this kind of thing. I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I, like I'm a religious listener to your podcast. I and love you. Canadian, it's very interesting t- because, you know, we have our view of what our neighbors to the South are. And you're obviously very upfront about your thoughts on the politics that are going on in your country right now. Um, so, A, I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on Canada as a whole, especially my city, Montreal. And also, um, are you, again, concerned on some level because you're so forthright about your opinions like, do you worry about your safety ever? Like when you're traveling? I have in the, you know, there've been s- certain times where I've been threatened and stuff. So yeah, I get a little like, mm, um, but I really don't. No, I don't really worry about my safety. I'm thoughtful about, you know, I weigh the consequences of of posting things, but always my gut takes over and it's like, you know, you can't let them win, you know? Um, I love Montreal, you know, so I was in Montreal for 12 days and it's reminds me of old New York. It just reminds me of when New York was just full of artists and it's just a great place. And, you know, I say on stage, you know, it's so funny because the people you know, people are so angry here. Like there's, you know, you, people are beating the crap out of each other at like baseball games and fighting. And there's just a constant tension in the air of someone's gonna, you know, someone's gonna freak out and you just don't know what's gonna happen. And also this whole gun 
culture where you go to a parade and you're like, oh God, or I, you know, I was hosting um, Pride in New Jersey, the biggest Pride in New Jersey, um, and in Montclair, and I was like, wait a minute, you know, someone could, you just don't know. Um, even when you go, I went to synagogue for the high holidays. You're like, oh yeah, right. It, it's there's a lot of tension here. Uh, and I don't feel that in Montreal. Uh, and I love the comedy audiences because especially during the just for laughs festival, they know comedy and they appreciate it. Um, so yeah, it's a great, I love it. I love it there. I can't wait to come back. The food is so damn good. Um, it's, yeah, it's a great place. And the the health, like no one's like dying on the street because they can't go to a doctor, you know? I, I don't know. There's, there, it's, yeah, it's a really great place. Thank you. I'll say thank you on behalf You're welcome. of our entire city. <laughs> um, Judy, I wanted to ask you too, like, again, being a religious uh, listener to your, your, your show, uh, I know how important sports are for you. And so, especially tennis. And I love the episode that you did with Ben, where you were talking about college basketball, because right. super into it. My, my lady, my, uh, my lady LSU team. Uh, so talk to us about how sport just helps you or, or how it plays a part in your life um, with managing because you're a hustler. You're always all over the place doing stuff. So where does sport fit in to keep you balanced? Uh, well, first of all, I work out all the time, um, but I play tennis. And so all summer and I'm on the board of the Provincetown Tennis Club. So I have a house in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And, um, you know, we play tennis every day. I love it. I used to play singles when I was younger, but now I play doubles um which i love i it's such a game of chess and it's it's so interesting um because you're communicating with another person and you're covering the court it's i don't know i love tennis but i love i love sports and um my my girlfriend elisa um i was just gonna go like this yep. so uh she's a huge sports person um she kind of got me into football but i love basketball and i love tennis and you know my son plays college basketball and he will be probably playing overseas when he graduates and you know watching him he's so dedicated it reminds me of me when i was starting out in comedy where like i'm you know he does all the work you know there's another place where you can't skimp on the work um but there's going outside and i think sports is so important because you're learning how to negotiate you're part of a team you become a leader you're um you're a cog in a wheel you're not you're not the whole thing like you're a comedian it's just you um and i just love I think they're so it's just so important and we're a big sports family and I do believe you have to go out and play I don't care how old you are if you don't know how to play then you're miserable like I love to just run around play go on a hike like something you have to move mm -hmm. 
Agreed. Agreed. And I wanted to ask you too, you've done so many great interviews on your show on, on Kill Me Now. Uh, most recently, uh, Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. And it was such a great chat. I love listening to it. Who is still on your bucket list of people interview? Oh God, there's so many people. You know who I'd really love to interview? Monica Lewinsky. Um, I love her. And I feel like you know what she's done what what she, you know what she was handed and what how she's dealt with her life has been incredible um i definitely want to interview her i mean i've there's just so many who else do i really want to i don't know i was just thinking about her so that uh but yeah i have a whole but there's so many people i find fascinating and it started out just comedians but there's you know there's more people that that make me really you know want to to get into what makes them tick and it's like you know originally the uh, it's called kill me now because i get aggravated about everything and i would ask them what aggravates them what makes them crazy mad and now it's just so much more than that um so i don't know you think i should change the name no and also okay don't stop doing your uh your rants the duty go solo the rants because those yeah. are like my favorite episodes basically uh, everyone says that i feel like i should just do that every week but yeah, no, um, it's, it's so fu- like it's so funny and i love to and i was wanted i wanted to ask you when you're doing your rants because i'm assuming maybe you sit where you're sitting now when you when you do the rants um do you find like you're talking to us but you're kind of talking to you at the same time even though it's out loud it's so funny. I, I write down things all week, like, oh, just talk about this, talk about this, talk about this. And then I start talking. And I just feel like I'm talking to all of you that are, you know, it's not it's it's so I'm like, oh, God, am I going to be able to fill like 35 minutes, 40? And it, I could go on. I, I just did this this week's rant just land just um, posted. And I'm like, and I got, I finished. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot this such an important story about something that happened in Sweden, which I just will say, well, I'll do in the opening of, of, of next week's, um, podcast. But I feel like, I don't know, you're a radio person. Like, don't you feel like when you're talking, you're, you're, you're talking to someone. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I so- sometimes I'm working out things when I'm talking. So like, yeah, exactly. And I feel like and you trust that you trust that process. That's why you like to go live. Yeah, exactly. And so and so I know you've threatened a couple of times to, you know, stop the podcast, but you can't make no, I lose money doing the podcast, but everyone's like, no, you can't, you can't. So (laughs) well, as someone who loses my money doing her own podcast. Yeah, just keep going. And um, I could talk to you forever, but I won't keep you too long. I just wanted to ask a couple more quick questions. can you tell me just for one day, which comic or producer or writer or actor would you like to switch places with just for one day to see what their life is like? Oh, um, oh my, that's a good question. Who's who do I want to switch with? It could even be a musician if you wanted, but I like I don't know if there's another comic or an actress or I think Carol King. I love her. I love her. And she's so talented and the songs she has written like i'd love to know what it's like to be her you know and just to be such an icon and yet there's never been any bad press or 
Do you know what I mean? She's just pure talent and goodness. And I just imagine she's calm and I, I don't know. I just would love to be here for the day. Apart but she'd have to have a concert that night. She'd have to have a concert that night. <laughs> um, apart from your family and friends, who is the coolest person in your phone that you can call or text? I think the first person that comes to mind is Cindy Lauper. Amazing. Yes, that's great. Okay, that's cool. Um, I mean, there is no one cooler than her. No, you're right. <laughs> I mean, she just is the coolest thing that ever. Uh, she's just, she's incredible. She's in, she's uh, whatever. I, yeah, she's the coolest person on my phone. Amazing. And last question for you, um, because I think you are a hustler, right? Like with everything you've oh, got. Oh, please. You're a hustler. Uh, what still gets Judy Gold up in the morning and ready to take on the world? Oh God. And I have such, a, I have such, I have diurnal depression. So mornings are really hard for me. Um, wow. What gets me up? I don't know. I think it's, um, well, coffee for sure. And, uh, I don't, my life is not, every day is not the same. So I think that it's an adventure. Um, every day is an adventure because I'm doing something different, but I also think it's that I want to conquer something, you know, I want to learn something that day. Uh, I, I want to fix something. There's just, I have, you got to realize that, you know, you have a purpose and I try to find that purpose. So, um, but it definitely starts with very strong black coffee and many cups of it. Okay. Amazing. Uh, Judy, it's been an absolute thrill to have you on my show. Thank you so much for doing this. And we cannot wait for you to come back to Montreal. Oh, thank you. I can't, I want to bring my show there. The, yes, I can say that. Um, You'll be oh, safe there's here. the poster. There's You'll the poster. Yeah. See oh, it? Yeah, oh. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you for having me. Amazing. I love it. And I'll just tell the audience, of course, you can grab all of uh, Judy's social media handles and everything else on her website, judygold.com. Hey, I'm Judy Gold, and I'm hanging out at the Kelly Alexander Show. Well, that does it for another episode of The Kelly Alexander Show. And a big thank you going out to our guest, the amazing Judy Gold. She has been on my bucket list for many years and super happy that we are finally able to have her as a guest on the program. Also want to thank our amazing producer, Andrew Sabino, for doing such a great job putting the show together. Please remember that you can follow us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. And if you have a chance, we're always very excited to get a review. Don't forget that you can grab our social media handles by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. I want to wish you an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.